Well, good morning, church. It's good to be here today, amen? Good to be here. And you know, let's give a round of applause for all the parents and grandparents of the graduates up here. Hats off to you guys, too. It's awesome to see the accomplishments and, and very uh, uh, looking forward to seeing what, what the future holds for, for all these young folks. And, and uh, congratulations to Tim. Katie, congratulations to you, too. That takes sacrifice as well, and we know, we know how that works. But I want to welcome everybody. It's good to be here today. It's a beautiful day outside. You guys enjoying the weather? Wonderful. No rain today. God has blessed us. But you know, today we want to continue in our sermon series on the book of James, and we're getting kind of near the end of this series. And we've said throughout this series that the book of James is a very practical book. It's a very relevant book, but it's also a very challenging book for us as believers because James doesn't just tell us what we need to do. James goes on to tell us how to do it. And so we've talked about this throughout this whole series, and the slogan has been, if Jesus has made a difference in your life, then your life will look what? Different. Different. Different than the life that we see in the world. And we've titled this series, A Faith That Works, because our faith does work. It's a faith that works in us, it works through us, it works for us, and it works for the glory of God. And it's a faith that works when we face the bad times, right? It's a faith that works when we have trials and temptations every day. It's a faith that works when it's put to the test. It's a faith that works in how we treat our neighbor, rich, poor, and everyone in between. It's a faith that works when we open up our mouths to speak. It's a faith that works when we have that situation every day, sometimes many times a day, whether we choose to live God's way or the world's way. And last week we saw that it's a faith that works in shaping our hearts against, uh, away from pride and toward humility. And if Jesus has made a difference in your life, your life will look different and you'll be living out this faith that works. And today it's interesting on graduation Sunday, we're talking about a faith that works when we make plans. How many folks in here like to make plans? I am what you call a chronic planner, and it drives everyone around me crazy, right? It's just one of those things. Anybody else like that? You, you like to plan everything. And you know, we, we, we plan so many things. I mean, what plans do you have for today? I'm sure there's some lunch plans here soon, right? We'll get there, I promise. Uh, there's probably plans maybe to do some things around the house, uh, maybe a plan to take a nap if you're lucky, right? We have plans for all kinds of things. Think about tomorrow. Maybe your phone's full of stuff you have to do. Maybe you have a medical appointment or you have appointments with your job or your kids have practice or a game. We have plans all around us every day and it's part of life. There's a man who has a foot problem and he limps into the doctor's office or into the hospital to get an x-ray. And he has the x-ray and he's told to sit there and wait. And a few minutes later, an orderly walks up to him and hands him a really large pill. And immediately after he's handed the pill, the orderly gets distracted because of another patient and leaves. So the man with the foot problem hobbles over to the sink and he gets a cup of water. And although it's very difficult, he manages to swallow this large pill. And it leaves a very bad taste in his mouth, but he sits down and he waits. A few minutes later, the orderly walks up carrying a bucket of water. He says, now give me that pill. Let's soak your foot for a while. That's gross, isn't it? <laughs> you know, this man did what he thought was best. But clearly, 
He should have depended on the advice of the orderly before he did what he did. Church, before we get too far down the road in making plans in our lives or encouraging our graduates to make plans in their lives and try to live out these plans, we need to depend on God to show us where we need to go. Amen? We need to depend on God to help us make the plans that he wants for us to make. We read this in the last part of James chapter 4, uh, which is our text for today. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. James writes, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So in the first two verses here, I believe James is warning the original readers as well as us today that there are three cautionary truths that we sometimes forget about. But three cautionary truths we can't change when we make plans. If we make plans and we ignore these cautionary truths, it's presumptuous of us. Again, 13 and 14. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James is writing to business people here. He's writing to folks who are probably not the richest, but also not the poorest. And they're making plans that don't seem to be so sinful. Has anyone in here ever planned a business trip? We have to do that sometimes, right? We plan trips to go and carry on business. These folks are planning a business trip. They have goods to sell. They have services to offer. And they had to look at the, at the shipping schedules and plan out which cities they're going to visit and how they're going to get there. And of course, this is a time in history when new cities are popping up everywhere. And all these business owners or leaders would want to go to every city possible to try to make a profit. And this entire trip, James says, will take at least a year before these folks will be back home. So they're going to go there and carry on business. And they're going to make money. And what James is saying to these believers, what he's saying to us today is that when we're making plans about our future, where we're going to go, what we're going to do, how we're going to make money, we need to know and remember these three cautionary truths. And the first one, we're not promised tomorrow. Amen? Amen. We're not promised tomorrow. James says you're making plans as though you have the promise of tomorrow. But we don't have the promise of tomorrow. In fact, all we have is today. And we may not have all of today. Now, James isn't against planning here. You know, God is not against planning. We see people making plans in Scripture all the time. God has given us the ability to think about and plan for our futures, right? He even built this into to animals and to nature. Even animals care about the future and plan for it. You ever see a squirrel or a chipmunk with these mouth full of nuts? He's planning for the winter, right? We have that ability. In fact, there's a really cool scripture I want to share. And this scripture is really cool because Memorial Day is next weekend. We're getting into picnic and cookout season. 
And Proverbs, the writer says this in Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. When you think about cookouts, you think of bugs and ants, right? All kinds of animals. Here's what Proverbs says. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So God is not against us planning for our future and preparing for our future. What he is against is the presumption of tomorrow. What he is against is us planning our tomorrows and leaving him out of the picture. The early believers that James just addressed here in our scripture, they had no thought of God when they were making these plans. They say that we're going to go here, we're going to do this or that, and nowhere in that thought process is God. And we're not promised tomorrow. That's a cautionary truth James is relaying. It's a cautionary truth we need to remember. And the second cautionary truth, let's just assume that there will be a tomorrow. I think we all probably do assume there'll be a tomorrow, right? So let's assume there will be a tomorrow. What's the second cautionary truth? Well, James says, number two, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Think about that. That's exactly what he says in the first part of James chapter 4, verse 14. Life can change in an instant. Has anyone's life ever changed in a day? You know, a day can bring a lot of changes, right? It can bring all kinds of changes. Maybe your life is going in a certain direction and you're sure what's going to happen next. And then all of a sudden one day comes and it all changes. It all goes a different direction. One you weren't expecting. They say life can change on a dime. It can change in an instant. It can change in a day. Maybe you've seen that in a job situation. Maybe you've seen that with a loved one. Maybe someone has hit the Powerball. That'll change your life in an instant, right? Also, maybe you've had some bad news at the doctor's office. That can change life in a day. That's why the writer of Proverbs says this in Proverbs 27.1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. But we like to know the future, don't we? As humans, we want to know what's coming tomorrow. We want to know what's coming next week. Some people go to palm readers or fortune tellers because they want to know the future. Because we think if we can know the future, then some way, maybe, we can control the future. But it wouldn't be good for us if we knew the future. Think about that. If you knew tomorrow something absolutely terrible was going to happen to you, there's nothing you could do to change it, what would that cause you to do today? Be paralyzed, right? Paralyzed with anxiety and fear over this thing coming. On the other side, if you knew something wonderful was going to happen to you tomorrow, and it was great, and it was a sure thing, then it might cause you to be a little less reliant on God today than you otherwise would be, which is also not a good thing. You see, only God knows the future, and he doesn't share that with us. And you know why? Because it's none of our business. Have you ever thought about that? Your future is none of your business. That's God's business. You know what our business is? It's to trust him. Amen? Amen. It's to trust him. And that's the lesson we should be leading, lead, uh, living in our lives. And we want to pass on to our graduates and children and grandchildren. Our job for our future 
is not to sit around and worry about the future and try to control it, because we can't. Our job when it comes to the future is to trust God, because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. That's the second cautionary truth. And the third cautionary truth we see in James. James chapter 4, verse 14, he asks a question. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What he's saying, the third cautionary truth, one day there will be no tomorrow. And again, some of us know this all too well, right? Someday we'll have no tomorrow. Someday the people we love, the people around us, they'll have no tomorrow. And we all have experiences in our own families or maybe with our friends or maybe even in your church family here at Gateway where someone has suddenly been lost and we see that there's no more tomorrow. You know, our lives, no matter how long they last, are like a drop in the bucket compared to eternity, right? You know, we don't even have, I thought about this the other day, we don't even have the right words in our language to adequately discuss eternity. Because we say things like, where do you want to spend eternity? But guess what? Eternity can't be spent, amen? Because it just goes on. We don't even have the right ability to fully comprehend that. But we all know where we want to be for eternity, right? It's in heaven with God, with Christ. It's in paradise forever with him. So we don't know about tomorrow, and one day there'll be no more tomorrows. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 says this, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. You know, Psalm 90 is a popular passage of scripture that you might see or hear read at a funeral. And the psalmist says this, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades away and withers. Does anybody in here plant flowers or a garden? Anybody have a garden at their house? You know, I grew up with a garden, and I hated to pick green beans. Y'all remember picking green beans? Man, it went on forever, and your back hurt so bad when you were done, right? And then when you got done, you had to string them. You know, some of the greatest conversations I ever had with my parents were when we were stringing green beans. I did like that part. But the picking wasn't so much fun. And because of that, I choose to buy my produce today. And a few years ago, the last time I tried to plant a garden, I had some tomato plants and some cucumber plants, and I had a very small area of ground, and I got everything just so-so, and once everything was planted, I slipped and I fell and broke every single plant I had just planted. So that was it until this year, we set out some plants and the deer and rabbits ate them all. So I'm not a gardener, right? But maybe some of you are. What do we know about gardening? What do we know about flowers? Well, the biblical writers are driving home this point in what we just read. The bloom is temporary, isn't it? The fruit is seasonal, except for squash. It just keeps coming, right? But everything else is seasonal. One day, the flowers, the plants bloom. The next day, they die. And that's why Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, there is a season for everything. And that includes our lives as well. 
You guys remember several years ago, uh, Elton John wrote a song called Candle in the Wind. And he wrote that song about Marilyn Monroe. And then he redid that song several years later about Princess Diana. And that's a good way to describe what we're talking about here today. Our lives are like a candle in the wind. You ever tried to light a candle in the wind? Doesn't work very long. And if you do get it lit, how long does it stay lit? Not very long at all. And so the way it is with our lives. That's why we need to soak up every minute we're blessed with here on this earth to be around and help the people that we love and to help show Christ to the world because we don't know when our tomorrows will run out. We don't know when this will end. And one day will be our last day here. Now, take a deep breath because you might be sitting here thinking, man, this is gloomy stuff, right? Pass me a tissue. And it is gloomy stuff. But here's the reality, church. Scripture is very gloomy and paints a gloomy picture for folks who leave God out of their lives. Jesus reminds us of this very important point as well in Luke chapter 12, uh, beginning at verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. You see, we use this passage of Scripture to teach a lot of different points. But one thing it's definitely teaching is that we're not promised tomorrow. This farmer, his plans did not depend on, nor did his plans include God. He knew what he needed to do, to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. He knew all the steps he would have to do to achieve his end result. And he set out to do it and made a plan without giving any thought to God. His goal was to just live it up, have a big party. He lost sight of what mattered. And guess what? For this farmer, he had no tomorrow. All his planning was pointless because there was no tomorrow for him. Why? Because God wasn't in his plans. God was not on his mind at all. It was about what he could accomplish and what he could do with what he'd accomplished. Church, we never want to be guilty of leaving God out of our plans if we hope to have a faith that works. So let's ask a couple of questions. Why is James telling us about the shortness and the uncertainty of life and our inability to control the outcome? Secondly, why is he telling us about it being futile for us to plan for our futures when we don't have God in the picture? Well, two points to answer those questions. First, to remind us of God's sovereignty. That's one thing, one thing James is doing here. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. We may make plans with or without God, but ultimately, God is in control of our future. Amen? Amen? Amen. No matter what. And so, are we considering that, God's sovereignty, in the plans we make? 
Some of you might know a guy named Rob Pritchard. He's a dear friend of mine and a, and a brother in Christ. And whenever you talk to Rob about plans, he always says, I'll be there if the Lord wills. Or Lord willing, we'll do this or we'll do that. And when we say things like that, it's reminding us that, yeah, it's all right to go ahead and plan. It's even necessary for us to plan. But we have to make sure our plans are subject to God. Amen? Amen. Think about that. If I have tunnel vision about what I want to do and how I want to do it and where I want to do it, what opportunities am I missing that God has placed before me to make a difference in someone else's life? What blessings am I missing in my own life if my plans aren't made subject to God? If I'm not willing to change the things I want to do when God and his spirit tugs me in a different direction? You see, we're not in control. We can't determine the future. We can plan all we want, but ultimately we have to recognize it is God who determines what we're able to do. We can do nothing unless he enables us. And I can think of no lesson more important right now for graduates than that. Plan what you want, but make sure God is in your plans. You know, when we talk about futures and careers, and it occurred to me, am I as quick to advise someone to go to God as I am about going to a guidance counselor or to somebody else in the profession they're choosing? Maybe we need to start there with our kids and grandkids because it's so important that God directs our steps and is in our plans. James is reminding the early believers as well as us that we're foolish if we leave God out of our plans. So I believe this is the first reason James is, is warning us about the shortness and the uncertainty of life. It's because God is sovereign. And secondly, it's to remind us of our dependence. You know, when you hear about the shortness or the uncertainty of life, it should humble us, right? It should humble us. We talked about being humble last week. You know, we're very, life is very frail, right? We're very frail as humans. And when we acknowledge this and when we acknowledge that we don't really know what the future holds, we can't control it, that should cause us to be humble, drive us to our knees. But it should increase our dependence on God. James says that boasting about where we're going to be and where we're going to go without God is arrogance. That's the opposite, of course, of being humble. But sometimes in our humanness, we get caught up in pride, don't we? And we believe that we've accomplished this. I earned that degree. I built this business. I saved this money. I built this house. But guess what, church? The only way we're able to do any of those things is because of God in our lives. Amen? And we need to remember that. Give him the glory, not ourselves, when we have those blessings. And when we're struggling, remember, God is there for us. And we got to be dependent on him for all of our plans, both in good times and bad times. Are those the lessons we're passing on to our children? Because James says we need to. But sometimes in our humanness, we become, we, we deal with pride. Do you know what the number one song requested for funerals is right now in America? This surprised me. The number one song today requested at funerals is an old Frank Sinatra song. You guys remember Frank Sinatra? Anybody know who he is? Yeah, someone. And the song is, I did it my way. I would <laughs> that's the song. I would think it'd be the Vince Gill song, but that's not, that's not correct. It, it's, I did it my way. Because that's the way the world looks at a successful life. He lived life, life on his terms. She lived life on her terms. Guess what? I don't want to live life on my terms because I'll mess it up, right? 
We want to live life on God's terms. She did it her way. He did it his way. I did it my way. That's how the world looks at a successful life. But again, if Jesus has made a difference in our lives, our lives are going to look different. And at your funeral, wouldn't you rather be known as the person who made plans based on what God wanted in your life? Wouldn't you be, rather be remembered rather than someone who did it his way or her way as a person who leaned on God and taught your family to lean on God in the decisions that you make? That's the lesson Jesus is teaching his disciples and teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount. He reminds his disciples to rely on God the Father, Matthew 6, 11, for their daily bread. To rely on God the Father, Matthew 6, 25, about the things they'll eat or drink or wear. And he tells them, he tells us, his father cares for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. And God himself knows when a sparrow does what? Falls. And if he knows that much about those things, how much more is he going to care for us? And he goes on to say this, and this is a verse I need to know and read every day. Matthew 6, 34. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Take a deep breath. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, the more life experiences we go through, the more maybe this verse starts to sink in, right? If you think about a time you're dealing with a, a big problem or maybe in recovery or maybe uh, in grief, you take it one day at a time, one step at a time. And that's what Jesus is telling us to do here. That's what James is, is saying as well. One day at a time. Remember, God is sovereign. And we as his people are totally dependent on him. And that should be evident as we make plans in our lives. When our coworkers hear us making plans, do they know God is in those plans? Are we giving that example? When our family is talking about plans, when, when you're making plans around the dinner table, is God part of that conversation or is it just about the things we want to do? When you're making plans in your business or in your career, are you only looking at market conditions or are you praying for God's guidance in those decisions? That's what James is saying because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. and One day there'll be no more tomorrows. So how do we do this? I told you earlier, we've said all along, James doesn't just tell us what to do, he tells us how to do it. And here's what he says about this in James 4, 17. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So when you make plans, plan with God's help to do the right thing. And sometimes it's hard to know what the right thing is, but more often than not, we know, don't we? It's pretty clear. And when it's not, ask God to help you. Go to his word. You know, all the things God wants for us to do and the lessons he wants us to know, they're found in his word. Pray to him about it. Then listen for his answer. Whatever you do, whatever happens tomorrow, if you're blessed with it tomorrow, plan in advance to do the right thing. You know, if you're making decisions about who you're going to hang out with or who you're going to date or who you're going to marry, Plan to do the right thing. Ask God for help with that. If you're planning on taking a new job, ask God, is this a job that will bring you glory? If you're planning on how to spend your money, do it the right way. Not live outside your means, but live within them. 
Do the right thing. If you're planning to, making plans to grow in your faith, the right thing to do is to follow up with your belief with repentance and baptism. Get plugged into the church. Participate. Use your God-given talents in service to him. Amen? If you have a big life decision to make, seek God's guidance. Pray, but then listen. You know, sometimes, a lot of times, going to God isn't just about talking all the time. We've got to listen and give him time to answer. That's the right thing. That's how we make plans with God in them. Plan to do what God says to do. Look to his word and listen for his voice in your life. Because he will give us the right thing to do if we seek him. Sometimes this takes time, right? Sometimes this takes patience, which is another tough thing we struggle with. But God will give us the answer. He'll give our kids and grandkids the answer. I want to share a story called Temporary Castles by Max Licato. And maybe some of you guys have heard this story. But it goes like this. A little boy is on the beach. On his knees, he scoops and packs the sand with his plastic shovel into a bright red bucket. Then he upends the bucket on the surface and lifts it up. To the delight of the little architect, a castle tower is created. All afternoon he will work, spooning out the moat, packing the walls. Bottle tops will be sentries. Popsicle sticks will be bridges. A sandcastle will be built. Big city, busy streets, rumbling traffic. A man sits in his office. At his desk, he shuffles papers into stacks and delegates assignments. He cradles the phone on his shoulder and punches the keyboard with his fingers. Numbers are juggled, contracts are signed, and much to the man's delight, a profit is made. All his life, he will work, formulating the plans, forecasting the future. Annuities will be centuries. Capital gains will be bridges. An empire will be built. Two builders of two castles. They have much in common. They shape granules into grandeurs. They see nothing and make something. They're diligent and determined. And for both, the tide will rise and the end will come. Yet that is where the similarities cease. For the boy sees the end while the man ignores it. Watch the boy as dusk approaches. As the waves near, the wise child jumps to his feet and begins to clap. There's no sorrow, there's no fear, there's no regret. He knew this would happen. He's not surprised. And when the great breaker crashes into his castle, his masterpiece is sucked into the sea. He smiles, picks up his tools, takes his father's hand, and goes home. The grown-up, however, is not so wise. As the wave of years collapses on his castle, he's terrified. He hovers over the sandy monument to try to protect it. He blocks the waves from the walls he's made. Salt water soaked and shivering, he snarls at the incoming tide. It's my castle, he yells. The ocean need not respond. Both know to whom the sand belongs. And I don't know much about sand castles, but children do. Watch them and learn. Go ahead and plan and build. But plan and build with a child's heart. When the sun sets and the tides take, applaud. Salute the process of life. Take your father's hand and go home. So the question, church, what are you planning for? What are your goals? Whose glory are you seeking? Here's our challenge this week. 
You're going to have all kinds of opportunities, all of us will, to make plans. This week, turn to God with all your plans. It's all His anyways, amen? amen. It's all His anyways. Make sure He's in your plans. Make sure His Spirit is guiding your heart to make the plans He wants you to make. That's what James is telling us to do. Ask God to help us plan the right way and to bless the plans we're making in our lives. So this morning as we close, I want to ask you, has Jesus made a difference in your life? You know, he's, he died on Calvary for you. His blood covers you from all sin if you're a Christian. He's done what he needs to do to make a difference. The question is for all of us, are we letting him make that difference in our lives? If so, our lives are going to look different. Our hearts will be different. We'll be growing in humility. We'll be growing to look more and more like Christ. And we'll be learning how God meets all of our needs for today. And we'll plan for the tomorrows with which he blesses us if he chooses to do so. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to look at your word and look at what your word says about planning, Lord. Planning is something we do every day, all day. Father, I pray that as your followers, you will be in those plans. I pray, Lord, that we won't just make plans and figure out ways to put you in them, but, Father, that you will be where we start and everything else will come secondary. God, help us to make decisions that glorify you, decisions that help the world see you in us. Father, decisions that will help people come to know the hope we have. God, we just thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for giving your son to die in our place. And Father, may we be busy every day pleasing you in the ways we do and in the opportunities you give us to serve you. We thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. And amen. Thank you for being here today. You know, if you're here and you have a problem, if you have an issue you're dealing with, if you need some help, we're here for that. If you're not a Christian and you'd like to put Christ on in baptism and start your walk with him, We'd love to talk with you about that. If there's someone who has a need or has some good news to report, I'm sure we could all use some good news. If anyone has a need this morning, I'll be standing over here. Come talk to me as we stand and sing.